All right, tonight uh, we're going to have fun. We're going to talk about this idea of beauty, and um, I'm just going to read the, the uh, a couple of words from Ephesians really quickly, and then uh, and then pray, and then go from there. This is Ephesians 5:25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray that he would teach us. Lord, we thank you um, for the end of this term. We thank you for all the things that are coming to a close. We pray for your um, just hand of protection and guidance and security that you would remove um, insecurity and and, um, all the anxiety and stress we have over these next couple of weeks, dear God. But tonight as we consider your word, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that this would be fruitful and meaningful, that you would strike at our hearts, dear God. We would be challenged and your Holy Spirit would heal us. Be with us, dear God, in your name we pray. Amen. Alright, so what we're going to do tonight um, is going to be fun, and I want to give you a couple of caveats, a couple of qualifiers at the beginning. And the first one is this, we can't say everything. Um, We're going to start a conversation tonight, and we can't say everything uh, about beauty, about the physical form. Uh, We're going to address it generally. I'm available, Katie's available, Elizabeth's available. If there's some guys and girls you all want to talk about further, join us for lunch tomorrow, contact us individually. Um, We just can't talk about everything. Secondly, um, this is the annoying purpose for tonight, that I didn't want to tell anybody until you got here, or at least any of the guys. In some ways, this is what's happening tonight. I'm preaching at the guys for the express purpose of the girls seeing the guys preached at. That's actually... A large part of the intention tonight is for the girls to hear guys hear what I'm about to say. Don't worry. It still is for all of us, but that's actually maybe the most important thing that's happening. Um, And I really mean that. Thirdly, next uh, caveat, and this is kind of calling out the girls. Um, There's this notion, there's this overreaction of the feminist movement. I'm actually a feminist. I own all seven seasons of Buffy. That makes me a feminist. Um, (laughs) and Five Seasons of Angel, which is the spinoff of Buffy. But um, there's an overreaction that happened in the feminist movement. Uh, Gloria Steinem said something, you know, she's one of the voices along the lines of, like, where women are becoming the men they wish they could marry. And, uh, and, and within the overreaction of that movement, there's this notion that, for women, that, like, to be strong and individual and secure as a woman means that you need to develop your individuality apart from men, and that it's weak to need men, it's weak to care about what men think about you, but what you need to do is you need to develop yourself professionally, um, emotionally, and become this strong, independent woman, and only then can you add a man onto your life as an accessory or a partner onto your kind of already well-built, strong individual self. In other words, there's this idea that like to need or to want or to care about what men think about you is weak. Okay. That's not weak, that's human. And that's okay. And the first, and the reality is, the first gender statement in the Bible is not that women are weak and they need men because women, uh, because they're the lesser gender. The actual first gender statement in the Bible is actually 
man is incomplete without woman. Man needs woman. The, the gender relationship in the Bible is not that one gender is of lesser value or lesser dignity or greater value or greater dignity. It's that both genders actually need each other. And so I'd urge you girls to not let your pride um, keep you from being honest about the fact that you care deeply about what men think. And you want to be, uh, and, and you care about what they think about the way you look. It's okay for you to think that. You're actually made to think that. That is part of being a woman. The genders are to complement each other. This notion of trying to be an individual, powerful self apart from the other gender is just pride. That's all it is, and it's a lie. We know we're lying to ourselves when we, when we conjure that kind of sin. Um, so, that last thing. Um, uh, well, that, that just leads into our first point, which is the purpose of beauty. And, and it leads right into the way women think about beauty. So, we're just going to jump into that. And guys, this is what you need to know tonight. This is one of the first things that you need to know. But girls, you need to know this about yourself as well. But I suspect you already do. <clears throat> How are women supposed to relate to this idea of beauty? How are your bodies supposed to relate to this idea of beauty? That's our big question for tonight. And this is what guys need to know about women. What every woman, what every woman wants with regard to their body is this. is to be seen completely and found to be beautiful. That's what these girls want. Uh, when Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians 5, he talks about how the mystery of marriage between man and woman um, teaches us about Christ's love for the church. And what Jesus does for the church is he washes her with the word so that he wipes away every blemish and every fault and every wrinkle and every inadequacy so that she can be beautiful and even presented as beautiful, so that she may be presented as beautiful without flaw to himself. And what we see is a glimpse into how women were made to feel about themselves, their relationship to beauty, what it's supposed to be. This is what it means, guys, for your mothers, for your sisters, for your friends, for your girlfriends, for your, Lord willing, for your wives, even for your daughters. What they desire with regard to their bodies is to have a man look at them and find them beautiful. Um, and they all know that they stand before your gaze every day. They know that they stand, you girls, y'all know you stand before. You're consciously aware of the fact that you stand before everybody's gaze every single day. Whether it's uh, just on campus, it's boys, it's girls. You're standing in front of your mom, in front of your dad, even your brothers, even your sisters. And you're even standing in front of your own gaze. And you're wondering, am I beautiful? I read an article last week, the psychologist writing about this phenomenon that uh, these teenage girls are posting videos on YouTube of themselves, not particularly revealing, but just asking, will you watch my video, video and tell me whether or not I'm pretty? And it's destroying these girls because obviously people are, are, are very violent with their comments towards girls that kind of display themselves emotionally um, vulnerable that way. But, girl, but this is a huge phenomenon. These people are writing about that girls are just putting videos on the internet and saying, well, somebody tell me that I'm beautiful. Uh, y'all want to be found beautiful. And guys, at, at the end of the day, this is what a girl longs for with her husband. And I really mean this, is to take off all of her clothes and have her husband see her entire body and say, that's perfect. That's what I've been dying for. Girls want to be found beautiful. Now, girls, this is what guys want. With regard to this idea of beauty and bodies, guys want to encounter beauty and merge with it. 
We want to be transfixed by it, captured by it. The first words that actually man speaks in Scripture, it's always interesting to consider the first things God says and the first thing man says in Scripture. But the first thing Adam says in Scripture are not, we praise you God, Jesus you're awesome, or anything like that. It's actually, he says these words, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And what he's reacting to is the creation of woman. And what Adam is saying at that moment, what his first words of man are, um, is this, that is awesome. Woman is created, and Adam looks at it and says, that's awesome. It's the language of the book of Song of Solomon. It's the language from Proverbs. Men were made to encounter beauty and to merge with it, to be transfixed by it, to be connected to it, to be intoxicated by it. This is all throughout Proverbs. Proverbs 5.18, Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a gracious doe. It's vulgar, it, not vulgar, it's, it's graphic terms. Let her breast fill you at times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. When it speaks about beauty, it speaks about it in very physical forms. Men want to encounter the body of a beautiful woman and merge with it. Uh, guys are looking to be transfixed by beauty. And you know this, we all know this because we're looking for it all day. We're looking for beauty that will transfix us and capture us. Um, we know it because it, it affects how you are to class. This, this is something that's going on without even thinking about it. This is why guys don't just jump on the internet and look at porn briefly. This is why they search over a period of time, maybe even for hours, looking and gazing, hoping to encounter the perfect image and the perfect woman. And the implicit thought or feeling is, when I get to that perfect image or that perfect woman, then I'm going to be satisfied. Right? There's no such thing as enough porn. They keep aiming for this perfect image. We want to get to the, to the absolute perfect beauty. We're always looking and never finding. Men are looking for beauty and never finding. And women are always aware that they live before the gazes of the world and the gaze before men and yet never feel beautiful. Why? Women want to be found beautiful and never feel it. Men want to find beauty but can never find it. Beauty has been distorted. This is what happened in Genesis 3. One of the first things that happened when sin entered into the world, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, is their relationships with their bodies broke. It's actually the first thing they noticed. They noticed that they were naked, and so they clothed themselves. The first thing that happened as soon as sin entered into the world is women started to hate their bodies. And men started to hate their bodies even. And they started covering it. And they started to feel shame about it. They started to cover it up to make it more presentable. This is the first time that we started to believe that the way to beauty is to cover and to hide and to put makeup on and to take this body that we're now ashamed of and craft it and work on it and shape it until I no longer feel shame. So that one day maybe I'll be found beautiful again if I work hard enough at it, right? And men started to believe that the way I find beauty is to find women that do that the best. And this is why all throughout Scripture there are warnings about being attracted to this distorted view of beauty. Namely, beauty is the shape of your body. Proverbs 6.25, Don't desire the adulteress, her beauty, in your heart. Don't let her capture you with her eyelashes. He's saying chasing external appearances is foolishness. Proverbs 11.22, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. What he's saying is, the appearance on the surface might be beautiful, but once you pull on it, once you engage it, you find out it's a mess. And that's a, that's a warning to both men and women, that proverb. 
It's a warning to men about looking on appearances alone and how foolish that is. But it's also a warning to women who are consumed with and spend their time and their anxiety and their energy freaking out and counting calories and exercising and dressing up and crafting a body that has the external appearance of beauty. But that woman hasn't invested herself in developing wisdom and character and discretion. Peter in 1 Peter 3 actually calls women, he says, don't let your adornment, the thing that's attractive about you, don't let it be your jewelry or your hair or your body, but a spirit that's quiet and gentled by God's love. Peter calls that imperishable beauty. And what he's not saying is he's not saying that women should be quiet and shouldn't talk. What he is saying is he's talking about women whose soul is quieted whose soul is no longer racing and anxious because it's found rest in Jesus. It's talking about the quiet of your heart and soul when you finally get off the performance treadmill. Right? The Bible's full of warnings against believing beauty is external and only full of warnings against being attracted to just external beauty. And in fact, in Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31 is this chapter that describes the godly woman what women, what femininity is supposed to look like. And it closes with this statement, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And the point he's making is this. External appearances really mean basically nothing. When he says beauty is vain, he's saying it's empty. And our definition, and this is... The external appearance of a woman basically is no sound indicator of who she really is. That's what he's saying. And this is the point, this is where what we've got to get that's really crucial. Our definition of beauty, that it's the shape of your body, it's not only wrong, it's actually ridiculous. Because it's created by culture. It's highly subjective. It's changed over my lifetime. The women that are presented went from, in my short life of 33 years, from full-figured to extremely thin to now fit. It's constantly changing. It's culturally generated. It's subjective. And it's impressed upon culture, uh, upon us by culture, and we've bought it. But it changes, just like the latest Apple product. As soon as the old model becomes obsolete, we're immediately manipulated into a new definition of beauty, simply because people are trying to sell both men and women something. And that's how our definition of beauty, uh, it's so subjective, and it's killing people. Right? The images that both men fawn over and women want to be, they're not even real images anymore. Right? They're photoshopped. They're actually cartoons. Men are fantasizing about cartoons and women are trying to look like cartoons. What you see, I mean, this is just true. The Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue is, is largely a graphic novel, is basically what it is. There's no real pictures in there. And people are getting killed, being oppressed. By cartoons. And this is the reality. And you think this wouldn't be true of you, but it is true of you because we're not above our culture in this regard. If you weren't born in this country at this point in time, you wouldn't think that being skinny and tan was beautiful. That's a distinctly American idea at a certain point in history. If you were born in the ancient Near East in Israel, you would actually think thin and tan is so unattractive because that's the way that culture thought about beauty. That... To be, to be more full-figured and to be pale meant that you're wealthy, that you've taken care of yourself, that you come from a great family. That was very beautiful. It's culturally generated. It's constantly changing. It's not the same everywhere on the globe right now. It's not the same everywhere even in the United States right now. And what we've got to see, both men and women, on this, but maybe more so men, it's actually our weakness 
our spinelessness, our lack of character and strength that allows essentially big business to wreck our lives and our understanding of beauty and to wreck our marriages by just saying, well, whatever they tell me beauty is, I'm chasing after that. Because they know exactly what they're doing. And they're just creating images to manipulate us into buying their products. And in so doing, they're handing us a false definition of beauty that's killing us and killing women. Beauty is not the shape of your body. It's not your ability to craft it or shape it or cover it or dress it. And as long as you operate that way, and as long as men and women operate with that understanding, this is what happens. First thing that happens is it alienates the sexes from one another. Men have commodified women, and women have commodified themselves. We're complicit in this. Um, women feel alienated from their bodies. You feel you hate your body. Um, both, and here's the thing about it. The, the women who fit the cultural ideal hate their bodies, and the women who don't fit the cultural ideal hate their bodies. You're desperately afraid it's going to betray you at some point, if it hasn't already. Maybe you already feel betrayed by it. And this is just one of those things, like, guys, you need to hear this, because it, it, women feel so alienated by their own bodies, because we've said in our actions and in our hearts to women, mm, you're kind of mostly valued on the shape of your body. And, uh, and this, is what, this is what girls in this room feel tonight. This is what girls trying to figure out what it means to be a faithful Christian feel is this. Why should I care about character and not the shape of my body? Because nobody else cares. Especially guys. Why should I care about character instead of the shape of my body? And girls are terrified that if I trust Jesus on this one, guys aren't going to notice me. So it alienates the genders from each other. It's oppressive. The reason women starve and exercise and even mutilate their bodies is because they've been oppressed by this cultural ideal. Uh, every day, y'all are aware that you're and feel that you're being evaluated. And you're evaluating each other as well. This is not just guys and girls. You girls, y'all are dressing and presenting yourself to the world just as much for the sight of girls as you are for guys. And so every day, you're oppressed by the notion that your body's failing you. And it's weary to you. So it alienates the genders. It's oppressive. It's self-destructive. We're not going to talk about eating disorders and self-mutilation tonight. That's too much for one sermon, but those are present everywhere, and they serve examples of this, how we destroy the thing that's the greatest source of unhappiness. And that's why they're so prevalent. At the end of the day, we always destroy the thing that's the source of our greatest unhappiness. And so you feel unbeautiful. You feel unbeautiful, and so you punish your body. So it alienates the genders. It's oppressive. It's self-destructive. And lastly, it's destructive to marriage. And this is the heart, this is, this is the question every guy, every college guy needs to grapple with tonight. What are you going to do when your wife's body changes? Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you need to think about that tonight. Not 20 years from now, not 10 years from now, not 3 years from now, not 6 months from now. What are you going to do when her body changes? Because this is what will happen if you don't think about this and deal with it. You'll try to justify the light and subtle manipulative treasure, uh, pressure to kind of get them to tone up or to lose weight. And then you'll justify the light and manipulative pressure to have them to get things surgically modified. And you'll be doing great damage to your wife and to any daughters that see that happen in their household. And you're still actually putting off the inevitable. 
what are you going to do when your wife doesn't fit your definition for beauty anymore? And one of two things will happen if you don't deal with this. You'll either find it in another woman or you'll find it in pornography. And it'll be so much easier because all along you never actually treasured your wife or thought she was beautiful because of who she was. You just hoped she would stay hot. So you already had a weak marriage from the day you entered into it. Our interaction with this, this definition of beauty and all the different ways we encounter it, is liturgical. And what I mean by that, what liturgy is when you do something over and over and over again for the sake of pressing the realities of that thing into your life. That's why church is very regular liturgy. When you go to Grace Pres, you come into God's presence, you become convicted of your sin, you confess your sin, you're assured of salvation, and then you hear a word from the Lord. That's a liturgy. So those truths break into your life. Interaction with pornography is liturgy. Interaction with this definition of beauty over and over again is liturgy, and it presses itself more deeply into your soul every time you go through that liturgy. Every engagement further ingrains this kind of sinful and destructive view of bodies into our hearts and our minds. And what guys need to know is that no women want to do what you've come to fantasize they want to do in the videos you've seen. And the only women that ever do that, the only reason they do that is because they're so afraid of not having a man that they're willing to debase themselves in those ways. Engaging in pornography, and I'm not just talking about hardcore, but also the lighter, more subtle, maybe even socially acceptable, I can watch it with other people in the rooms, lighter forms of just sexually aggressive films and pictures, whatever it is, it deadens your capacity to be sexually stimulated by your spouse because you've trained your body to be aroused by essentially cartoons, right, that neither look like real women nor think sexually like real women. In the 80s, Andrea Dworkin was this anti-pornography activist, and she says she was writing about the effect that pornography was going to have on the male libido. She said what it's going to do is it's going to inflame it and make men virtually, um, they won't be able to be satisfied. Thirty years after the fact, Naomi Wolf is now writing about how it's actually done the exact opposite. It's deadened men's libidos because they've become aroused by this virtual form of beauty that's not realistic. And so now, real women can't arouse them anymore. What men look, this is the ironic thing, what men look at in pornography is actually female shapes that have the sexual appetites of men. And real women don't think about sexuality that way and don't engage in sexuality that way. The false worldly view of beauty is destroying women, it's destroying marriages, and it's entrenching men in the life of immaturity. And we're both complicit, both genders are. Even Christians, because this is what the girls in here, this is what y'all are thinking right now. Okay, that sounds great, and I want to have the character of a Christian woman, I want to buy into this, what I think is going to be presented as this biblical view of beauty, but I still have to crush my body into a certain shape. Like, ah, that sounds great, but I can't quite go all the way there. So I'm going to try to be a Christian, but at least let me, let me get anxious about this a little bit and work hard on it, right? Jesus says, no, you can only have one master. Just because you're trying to be a Christian doesn't mean, all right, it's okay, it's kind of safe for you to be panicked about your body as well and to be enslaved to this beauty ideal. And all the girls are still, uh, all the guys are also thinking this. This is what the guys are thinking. <laughs> I'm just throwing everybody under the bus tonight. But it, but it really is. I want to put this truth out there, and it's hard to hear, and we're going to grapple with it together, not just tonight, but hopefully in relationships. Guys are thinking, 
That sounds great, but can she still be hot? That's what's happening here tonight. And that's not dealing with the issue for either gender. For girls to say, that sounds great, but come on. I still have to get thinner, right? And guys are saying, that sounds great, but I still want her to be hot, right? That's not dealing with the issue. That is not an acceptable posture. Jesus says there's only one master. It's either him or whatever else you serve. So you don't get to choose. You don't get to have both of those. And here's, so how do we deal with it? Here's how we don't deal with it. Here's the, so if culture has said you are your body, you are valued because of your body, it's kind of overvalued and misinterpreted the body. But it said you are your body and you feel that and you hate it, right? The wrong reaction is to undervalue the body. And sometimes that's the direction people go in. Eve Ensler, who wrote the, the vagina monologues, if you all have seen or heard of that, um, she was sexually abused all throughout her childhood. And so what that did to her is she said, you know what? I, there, there are two me's. There's me and there's my body. I've just got to disassociate from and devalue that thing because I hate my body so much because of all the ways it's betrayed me. And so she said, you know, the solution to this body issue is I've got to undervalue it. It means too much, so I've got to make it mean nothing. She said, my whole life it was me, and then there was my body. And me was the me, the good one. But I liked it, who I am, and my body was just this appendage that I hated. Right? And maybe even in Christian circles there's this um, notion that who you are is your soul. You know, that's really who you are. Your character, your heart, your soul, whatever it is. Okay? Proverbs 5.19 says, Your wife's breasts are to fill you. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, Your body is not your own. Talking about your spouses. Your body is part of who you are. You can't say it's not who you are. You can't say it's separate from who you are. You can't treat it as an enemy or something you need to disassociate from. To conjure a definition of maturity that involves you being freed from your body. It's not helpful. It's not true. It's not biblical. It's destructive. Who you are is comprised of both your body and your soul. They go together, hand in hand, who you are internally and who you are externally. Your hands and your heart can't be really separated from each other. This is what Elizabeth said when she's thinking about her own body. Don't worry, this isn't weird or revealing or anything. She said, (laughs) considering the subject matter, without her ears, she couldn't hear her children cry. She can't love her children without her ears, Right? Without her eyes, she couldn't see her drawings. Without her mouth, she couldn't read, their story, read them stories. Without her hands, she couldn't hug them. Without her feet, she couldn't run into them. She can't live her life without her body. She's absolutely her body and her soul together. It's not okay to say, I hate my body, I'm going to disassociate from it. It's not healthy, it's not biblical, it's not right. It's not helpful. So then the question is, what is real beauty? What are we to do about this? And to begin that, the first thing we have to see is this. When did women, when did a woman first feel ugly? When she lost character. In Genesis 3. When did a woman first start to hate her body? She didn't get acne. Eve didn't gain weight. That's not how the story goes. She lost character. She became a person without character. And she hated her body as soon as she started as soon as she ceased having character. Right? It was when sin entered her life and selfishness and pride entered her life that she actually started to hate her body. This is our definition of beauty. The body is beautiful. Beauty is absolutely tied to the body. 
is absolutely tied to the body. And the body is beautiful when it fulfills its purpose of character. The body is beautiful when it fulfills its purpose of character. They were ashamed. He was ashamed of her body when sin entered in the world. Said nothing about the shape of her body. She sinned, and it was her lack of character that made her feel ugly. It was her lack of character that made them ashamed. The body is beautiful when it fills its purpose with character. The Proverbs 31 woman is described in very bodily forms. It's wrapped up in what true beauty is. But it's not the shape of her body. It's the service. It's the work. It's the kindness. It's the patience that she does with her body. She feeds her family. She works hard. She's generous to the needy. She speaks wisdom. She's not idle. These are all body things. This is the beautiful body, the one that fulfills its purpose and its roles with character. This is what Eve Ensler said um, in a great documentary called America the Beautiful. Um, she was visiting in Kenya, and she just goes around the world and interviews women and asks them how they relate to their bodies. That's kind of what she does. And she was speaking to this rural woman in Nairobi, uh, or in the city of Nairobi, and Eve said, do you like your body? And she said, I'm not going to do that the uh, Kenyan accent that Ensler did, but she said, like my body, like my body, I love my body. I love my hands. I love my fingers. I love my arms. They're so strong. They carry me along. I love my legs. I run with them. I walk with them. And she, she loved her body because of its functionality. And she said, Eve, do you love your body? And Eve said, I don't know how to do that. And the woman said, what's wrong with your body? And Eve said, I have this stomach that I hate. And then the, one, the Kenyan woman says this, Eve, do you see that tree? Is that tree beautiful? And she said, yeah. She said, do you see that tree? Is that tree beautiful? She said, yeah. She said, does that tree look like that tree? And she said, no. She said, do you think that tree's ugly because it doesn't look like that tree? And she said, no. She goes, I'm a tree. You're a tree. Love your tree. <laughs> But this is what she understood. Her body was beautiful as it fulfilled its purpose. Last year, uh, we took USC students to Athens, Greece, and one of the things we did is there's this ministry to Nigerian prostitutes who've been sold into sexual trafficking, um, into sexual slavery in Athens, Greece. And from 11 o'clock, to f- 11 o'clock at night to 4 o'clock in the morning, there's this small ministry called New Life. And what they do is they go out and just provide tea and warmth and comfort and fellowship to these 18-year-old prostitutes that are all high. And they build relationships slowly over time until these girls trust them. And it takes months and months and months. And then eventually the girls will ask, you know, is there a way for me to get out of this? But it's just months of waking up every night working from 11 to 4. And all these people that do this, there's only only about four of them um, who go every night from 11 to 4. They all work during the day. And one of the girls, the girl that led it, her name was Annette. She was from Australia. She was very plain in appearance. She had bad teeth. Um, you wouldn't have picked her out of a crowd. You wouldn't say she's attractive. She wouldn't draw your attention. And she ran this ministry. She lived in Athens, Greece. She was away from all of her family. She worked every night from 11 to 4 on a volunteer basis while she was working during the day. She was loving on people that nobody else loves or even those exist. Annette will never be praised. She's never going to be appreciated. She's never going to be known. She's just going to give and give and give and sacrifice and die for these women, hoping that she can save a couple. Right? And it was beautiful. One of the freshman guys 
the next day made this remark, how in the world is Annette not married? And you see, at that moment, the men in the group saw Annette and they saw beauty. They saw transcendent, powerful. Sports Illustrated swimsuit models can't hold a candle to her beauty. Real, non-sentimental bullcrap, nothing like that. Real beauty. Because they, they saw the female form love in such a selfless, selfless, powerful way. They were transfixed by it. They saw the female form engage in radical self-giving. The body is who you are. It is. But it's not evaluated as beautiful according to the shape that you press it in. It's evaluated as beautiful according to what you do with it. And guys, we're trying to skirt the issue. You know, uh, I don't want to be shallow, but I'm going to be shallow enough to at least first discriminate along the lines of looks because I want to merge and engage with a great-looking body. And girls are trying to skirt the issue, too. I want to have character, but let's be honest. I can get my body the right way. That'll make me feel beautiful. Both of those postures are idolatry, and Jesus will have nothing of it. So what is the solution? And the reality is this, the kind of transformation that has to take place for men and for women to no longer evaluate and assign significance or give attention or praise affection to someone simply on the basis of their physical appearance or the shape of it, the kind of change that has to happen is huge. And trying harder, if you come to RUF, this is one of our mantras, trying harder just doesn't work. You can't simply try harder to not walk out on the campus and not evaluate people according to appearance. Something more revolutionary, more fundamental that has to happen to us. Something has to be pressed deeper in who we are. Our definition and understanding of beauty has to be radically changed from deep down inside of who we are. And so here's what it means for girls. Girls, to be found beautiful, you have to be loved. To be found beautiful, you have to be loved. Because you desire rightly to stand in front of somebody's gaze and be seen completely all the way through and found to be beautiful. And that is right. The problem is the gaze that you stand in front of. Because you stand in front of yours, and you stand in front of men, and you stand in front of other women's, and you're waiting for one of them to tell you that you're beautiful. And you're consumed with self-evaluation as if you could ever pass your own standards or anybody else's. And so you're on this treadmill, killing yourself physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, hoping to look into a mirror and find something you're satisfied with. You're not going to be satisfied as long as it's you and your body and your grades and your sociability that you're staring at. You're afraid that you're not going to be thin enough, tan enough, blemish-free enough, fit enough, beautiful enough. You fear that you're not going to get past your shame and that you're not going to be found to be beautiful. You fear everything that's not worth fearing. And you don't fear the one thing that's worth fearing which is the Lord. And here's the beautiful thing. When you fear Him, you find compassion in His eyes. When your gaze is all of a sudden cast upon Him, the one who loves your soul, there's deep satisfaction and rest to be found in Him. How is the woman made beautiful in Ephesians 5? Paul talks about it. The way a husband loves his wife is the way Jesus loves his bride. And how does he... How does he beatify her? How does he beautify her? Jesus washes them with the word and removes every spot and every wrinkle and every flaw. 
And he's not just talking about your body. He's talking about your soul. He cleanses you. He makes you clean with his blood. He takes all the sin and all the inadequacy and all the lack of character that's made you ashamed of your body. He takes it all away. And he washes it and he presents you to himself so that he can see all of you and say, you're perfect. The key to beauty is to stop staring at yourself and stare at the lover of your soul and his delight and his smile over you. To hear the stories of his affection for you, to let his gospel work character into your life again, to become a woman of kindness and patience and generosity and forgiveness, not prone to anger, full of service. And the key to this kind of beauty is to experience and discover and be washed in His love for you. That's what makes you beautiful. And then what's going to be happen is you're going to be found, you're going to become attractive to the kind of men who found the person of Jesus beautiful. And this is your fear, because you've seen a little bit into the male mind tonight. This is your fear. I can buy into that, and it sounds great, but I know how shallow this world is. Can God really provide a boy for me, a man for me, if I buy into that? That's a terrifying notion that you're entertaining right now. This is all I'm going to tell you about God. Jesus said in Luke 19 that if nobody praised Him, He would raise up rocks, and rocks would sing praises to Him. It does take a supernatural work for a guy like that to be attracted to a girl of character. Right? God created the world. He parted the seas. He stopped the sun sky. He made food fall out of the sky when His people were starving. And He brought life into the womb of the virgin. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He fed 5,000 people with a couple, of, a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. And He paid for the sins of the world and He conquered death. So if your question is, can He really raise up a guy who would be attracted to the kind of girl you're describing? The answer is absolutely And I'll say this in the meantime. Girls, you may have parents, boyfriends, brothers, sisters, guy friends, whatever it is, who are reinforcing this notion that you need to lose weight to be beautiful or you need to change the way you look to be beautiful. I'll just say it clearly. That's ungodly, unloving, and it's evil. If your boyfriend has a habit of making those comments, it's not going away. And you might feel in love... But he doesn't love you. And he might feel in love, but he doesn't love you. And he doesn't understand beauty and he doesn't understand love. If it's your parents, if it's your sister, if it's your brother, close your ears. That's abusive speech. I'm sorry that that's in your life. It's evil. It's really evil. And you can dismiss it. You can feel free from that. And I'm sorry for the things that people have said to you. I wish they didn't. It's evil and oppressive. Guys, what's our solution? It's this. First of all, we have to be mature enough to see this is a problem. And it's a problem that runs deep into who we are. And we're really afraid of the potential outcome of believing Jesus on this. You're afraid that you might not, that if you believe Jesus on this, you might end up with someone the world doesn't consider beautiful. Fear runs deep in us. And if you can't see that this is a problem, if you think pornography, well, it's not that big an issue, it's funny, whatever it is, if you have an immature and you're not willing to engage this, this is what my hope is, that God protects women. I love you, I care about you, I want to get lunch with you, but if you think this is something you don't have to deal with and it's okay to continue to judge women on their appearance and declare them beautiful or not beautiful, accepting that they can accept your attention or should have your attention if they look a certain way, 
then I pray that God will protect women from you. But guys, if you want to engage this, this is our next step then. Mature enough to see this problem, and then we need to grieve. This is sad. This is sad for us, and we need to be sad for ourselves. We need to be we need to grieve it. We need to see that we're confused. We need to admit that we're distraught over it and that we're helpless and that left to who we are, we have no real chance of getting over this. We need to grieve our immaturity. We need to grieve how dehumanizing and destructive it is. And then this is last what we do is we take our grief and we take our immaturity and we take it to the cross. We bring all of it, the messiness, the deepness of it, how much we really hate it, how much we really don't admit it's a part of our life. And it's actually at the cross when we take all that junk there that our definition of beauty gets transformed. Because it's actually in the cross that we act, it's actually at the cross that we get what we are made for. It's actually at the cross that we encounter true beauty and merge with it. That's what happens at the cross. The cross delights us and captures us and transfixes us because we see a picture of love and beauty that the world doesn't even have categories for. For years, guys, we've killed women with our casual notion of this idea of hotness. And to put to death our immature view of beauty, we have to see the beauty of the cross. And if you think, if you think this is foolishness, that it's okay to judge women according to their looks and oppress girlfriends and friends and sisters, then you have no idea who Jesus is. You have no idea who Jesus is if you think that's okay. Jesus takes on the penalty for immaturity of the cross. At the cross, we encounter Jesus, the one who, who made all these women. And we see him forgive us for being the men that oppressed them. Paul tells us in Romans 5, Jesus didn't die for good people at the cross. God showed his love for us so that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and he does it freely. And when you get that, and when you bring all your deep junk, and see that Jesus says, I died for that too, and I died for that too, and I died for that too, and you're clear and you're clean, Jesus becomes beautiful to you. And when he becomes beautiful to you, guess what really happens? This is what's amazing about this. This is what's beautiful about it. When Jesus becomes beautiful to you, then the daughters, his daughters that look like him, become beautiful to you as well. You see what happens? Your definition of beauty got transformed. When you see the, the daughters of King Jesus act in kindness and in generosity and in patience and in graciousness, when you actually find them truly, deeply, powerfully beautiful, regardless of shape. And the nets of the world will transfix you. Let's pray.